You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. So someone out loud, just read it out loud slowly, and, 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 and if a child wants to do this, they can too. Speak into the mic so that folks on Zoom can do it. And if you're on Zoom, feel free to read it. Okay, so it's eight verses here. And the Lord said to Moses, Quick, go down for your people that you brought up from Egypt has acted ruinously. They have swerved quickly from the way that I charged them. They have made them a molten calf and bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I see this people, and look, it is a stiff-necked people. And now leave me be, that my wrath may flare against them, and I will put an end to them, and I will make you a great nation. And Moses implored the presence of the Lord his God, and said, Why, O Lord, should your wrath flare against your people, that you brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say, For soil he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains, to put an end to him on the face of the earth. Turn back from your faring wrath and relent from the evil against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and spoke to them, will multiply your seed like the stars of the heavens and all this land that I said. I will, give you, I will give to your seed, and they will hold it in the state forever. And the Lord relented from the evil that he had spoken to do to his people. Thanks, Amy. What's God putting on your heart? What, are you, what, what is happening within you as you hear this passage? What's coming up for you? Kaz? Um, for him, but he um, said, well, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't say that. So that's what he thought when he heard that. He's surprised that God said that, that he would hurt or kill them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, I had a similar thought. I was like, thinking, because it was like at the, with the part where it said I will make you a great nation, I was like, oh, that's kind of a good deal for Moses, like he still wins um, I like that, yeah. and like that's attendance, I don't know, we, just thinking about like, are we saved together or are we only going to save a part of us, like, are we going to like say that some people aren't worthy to be a part of this thing Then I was like, oh, this is weird how Moses is acting more like God than God is, like Moses has the more like expansive, like kind of view of things. I'm going to reflect on this later for a while, but I wanted to say this because I read it and then it came to me, but it sounded like Moses, to me, like Moses and God switched roles. Like, like that's, it's, it's just interesting that that's like, Moses was telling God to act more like God and God wanted to be angry and wipe out these people, you know? 
Anyone else? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What an interesting passage. There's a lot happening here. And when I was reading it, my mind was going in all sorts of different directions about what we could say about it and what we could think about it. So let's start this way. Exodus is a book that tells us the story of the liberation of the Israelites. We get the idea here. Moses repeats it. The Israelites were liberated from their Egyptian enslavers, and that story is the breath that sustained the Jewish people for centuries, reminding them of their liberation from captivity and assuring them of God's faithfulness and God's deliverance. It's, it's what Passover is about. It's what Passover remembers. For Christians, it's not unlike us remembering Jesus' death when we take communion. It's a love letter, Exodus, from God to God's people, showing them that God will deliver them and be faithful to them, and it shows us that God's love endures forever. And since we're gathered here in Christian worship, we remember that we are grafted onto that promise now. That God's liberation of these people is something that we are grafted on as Christians, and I would say specifically as Gentiles. Now, not all of us are Gentiles in this room. Some of you are Jewish. I just want to note that. So... There's different ways that you can approach this. But Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are grafted on to this promise that God gave to the nation of Israel. So we have this God that's a liberator God, that's a redeemer God. But this passage paints a much different picture of that God and of the Israelites. On one hand, the Israelites, despite their deliverance from God, already have built a false God, a golden calf, and are bowing to it. So they, they, they do the one thing that God really doesn't want them to do. Get another God and worship it. They even thought this calf was a representative of God. But God still didn't want that. And then God says... Quick, go down, for your people that you brought out from Egypt have act, has acted ruinously. He puts it all on Moses. I didn't liberate them. You liberated them. You got them out of Egypt, and they're your people. He's like a disgruntled parent talking to the other parent. Like, look what your daughter just did, you know? Like, not my daughter, your daughter, you know? That's like the feeling I get from God. Like, go talk to your son about this or whomever it is. Israel's his people. This is your person. Ever, any parents ever do this before? Or has this ever been done to you as a child? God calls him stiff-necked and stubborn. And then he says to Moses, and leave me alone. Leave me be. I don't want to hear what you have to say because I want my anger to flare up against them and I want to wipe them out. And then I says, but don't worry, Moses. Like someone said in the... In the as we were talking about, don't worry, I'll, I'll give you a great nation. 
and not this one that is recalcitrant and won't demonstrate allegiance even to the one who liberates them. God is angry. Israel abandons God and God is ready to wipe them out. Moses appeals to God by asking him not to do that. And he appeals to God, like, like it's, so, it's so interesting what's happening here. He says to God, why should your wrath flare up against your people that you brought out from, so he tells God, no, you brought them out from Egypt with your great power and with your strong hand. Now, I'm just reading this plainly and I'm not adding any theology to it yet. In other words, it's hard to do because I have theological ideas about God from my own life, from my experience, from my studying, from my all sorts of things. I have ideas about how God acts and God's character. So when I say this, I'm just reacting to the passage as I'm reading it just as you were. But it seems like he's appealing to God's ego. Like, your strong hand, your great power, why would you do this? And he's hoping that God offers grace. And then he says something unusual here. He says, and why would you let the Egyptians say you just got them out for land and now you're going to wipe them out? Why would you let your enemies be able to mock you this way? And then he makes a final appeal and he says, remember the covenant with Abraham that you made. And then after his appeal, God relents from his wrath. He was about to pour onto this idolatrous nation. He appeals to God's character. He appeals to God's demonstration of power and he appeals to God's covenant. He appeals to who God is. He's reminding God of who he is. Interestingly, he doesn't appeal to compassion on the Israelites. They are not the center of his appeal. He is not saying, don't you feel bad for the Israelites. He's saying, well, what about what you did? You saved them. The Egyptians will think this about you. And you made this promise to Abraham. He's appealing to who God is, not the idea that God should offer compassion to the Israelites. The Israelites are not the center of his argument. Now, as I'm reading this, it's apparent to me that after he says this, the Lord relented from the evil he had spoken to do to his people. It seems to me like Moses... changed God's mind. We'll sometimes go back when, when uh, Abraham is, Abraham has a similar conversation with God in Genesis, right? And he's talking to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's saying, and he says, go find one righteous person. And he can't, and then God wipes out Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel and Isaiah will later tell us why he did for their sins of greed and selfishness and so on. That's why that happened. That's a separate point. But I want to emphasize that now as I brought this up. And sometimes we read that passage and think, well, God is just listening to Abraham even though God knows what's up. Here, something different happened. Now, I hesitate to say that God's mind changed because in my mind, I have this idea that God's mind doesn't change. And in 
Christian theology, there is an idea that God can't even be affected by human emotion or circumstance, that God can't be moved by it. There's this idea that's in, that's in my own training. You know, now, there's, now we can talk, the, the, the term is the God is impassable. Um, I-M-P-A-S-S-I-B-L-E, not impassable like a semi-truck on the freeway, like you can't pass it, you know, different, different way of thinking about it. Um, but here, God is affected, God is moved. Now this could be the writer's doing, it could be, there's all sorts of things that could be happening here, but it seems like God's mind changed. But some people would say God is testing Moses. God might be seeing if Moses truly knows God's character. We don't know those answers. It's hard to say what's happening exactly. And like I said, our priors, our prior ideas will inform our understanding of the story. But in any event, it seems to me like God is listening, engaging, and responding to Moses. So, I'm not sure what that will do for how you relate to God. Some of you might think if God changes God's mind, will God change God's mind about me? Some of you might think, oh, it's good. I can appeal to God and I can move God's spirit. For me, I have to go back and try to understand what's happening in this story. And I like to think about who is receiving the story and what it means to them. The audience that is receiving this, at least at some point, is in exile. They're an exilic audience. They're in Babylonian captivity. And the motif here is common. Idolatry followed by judgment occurs. This, this one that God is vowing to pour on Israel, it's exactly what happened to the audience in captivity. And by the time Babylonian captivity happened, the northern kingdom was wiped out by the Assyrians. They were wiped out. Because of idolatry, they were sent into captivity and God's wrath is poured on them. But the prophet's appeal, Moses' appeal, showcases that God's love is longer than God's wrath. And it assures us that that. It assures the Jews that their deliverance is coming and God will continue to be faithful. This passage helps us remember who God is and how God acts. We could get a little bit stuck on the idea that God had this idea that Moses changed it and that could be where like, that's a very stimulating idea and like if that's something you want to talk about, I think that's good to talk about. Um, I try not to draw very strong theological conclusions from a passage about who God is, but rather enjoy the diversity of the Bible and the mystery that it presents us as we relate to God. You know, I I don't want to do too much this means this, that means that, exactly, because it's it's too hard to do that for me. So I think Moses might be reminding us of God's faithfulness and reminding his audience that God will be faithful. That even though worshiping other gods is acting ruinously and swerving from the direction that God charged them. They have swerved quickly from the way I charged them. They have another chance, they have another opportunity. So I want to emphasize that this this is another idea, that the grace and forgiveness that God demonstrates here is who God is and always has been. 
Sometimes we read a passage like this and we think about the violence of the New Testament God, of the Old Testament God and what's going to happen, the promised land they're going to enter, what it means, the destruction of Canaan and so on. And we think something like God's mercy only began with Jesus in the New Testament. Speaking of God changing. But the grace that God demonstrates here mirrors the grace of Christ that we know in the New Testament. And furthermore, the justice and conviction that God demonstrates here is also the same kind that Jesus demonstrates in the New Testament. God is angry that Israel, that Israel has forgotten God's faithfulness. And for that, he wants them to perish. God is angry that they have swerved from the direction that God charged them. And so the question for us following this is, God will be merciful. God will remember us. God will care for us. But how have we swerved from the direction that God has charged us? God charged us to love one another and love, love God. So how do we demonstrate that charge as a community? Can we consider how we've swerved from it? What gods have we worshipped instead of the ones, instead of the one who delivered us? On Thursday, I got my, uh, the new uh, bivalent booster shot. So it's the new uh, COVID booster shot that we're all eligible. 12 and above can receive this shot. And it's supposed to protect better against the new variants of COVID. And it was my very small effort to protect myself and the vulnerable people around me. But it, I, it reminded me that experts are still saying that a yearly vaccination isn't enough, that we need to even, might even need to get more boosters than that. It reminded me that the CDC has recommended that we continue to mask in areas of high transmission, which is the whole country. But we've kind of readily moved on, even though the virus is a very present danger and God is calling us to protect the most vulnerable I wonder about if that is a swerve from the direction God has charged us. Similarly, God calls us to love one another. But so much of Christian faith has resulted in not love, hatred, bigotry, death. Just recently... By my, by my family. I was um, accused of being dirty and of sending people to hell, sending some of you to hell, I think, actually, um, because of my sexuality and my affirmation of LGBTQIA people. And as I got that, it was painful to receive those words, but as I got it, I, I, I thought, I wonder if we, are, if we were to judge one another by our fruit, how how a bigoted and hateful Christianity that produces death will be judged. How much have they swerved from God's charge? These are the questions that I have. And I'm, I'm in a privileged position because I feel confident in my own faith and my own connection with God, and I won't be easily uh, deterred from that. It's going to take a lot of effort. You know, I feel like I'm on firm ground. You know, But the one that is uh, causing... Uh, death and suffering to a group of people doesn't feel as firm to me. 
I wonder how far they've swerved from the way of God as a result. You know, one of them said, hey, are you still a Christian? And I said, yeah, but I'm praying you are. You're still one too because our faith is one of love and grace and fullness. People can be themselves in Jesus. And the fruit of, of this Christianity that you're espousing is very negative. And it's, 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 it's hard for me to say that this doesn't seem like a swerve from what God has charged us to do. The fruit is so toxic. So I wonder about that, you know? I wonder about what happens when the apparent results of our faith don't produce good fruit? To me, that's... And I think Christians everywhere should ask this question, you know? Israel is being reminded of this because they're in captivity. They're in suffering. And God is telling them this story about what God will do if you're unfaithful. And then God's mercy prevails. So God's mercy and God's grace is not an excuse to sin or Paul says, do we have a license to sin? No, that's not the point of it. If we are to lose our moral barometers because of God's mercy, we miss the point. This is a reminder that just because deliverance is coming, and God will deliver the Israelites from Babylon. God will overcome, and, then, and you'll see if you keep reading the Old Testament what they do, how they decide in Ezra and Nehemiah when they get back to their place and they're figuring out how to build a nation, when the chronicler is rewriting the history of Israel and reinterpreting it, you'll see a more positive idea about what God is doing. There, God is going to deliver them, and, and as Christians, we'll say God's deliverance is finally coming in the person of Jesus. And in the early church, Jews believed that too. Some Jews, anyway. So God will deliver us, but that doesn't mean that the, 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 what we do now doesn't matter. It still matters. And we can judge it by the fruit of love that it produces. You know, you don't have to tolerate not being loved. If you're a Christian, God loves you, and you can surround yourself by people that do too. These are the sort of idols that God is incensed about. When we disregard people that are vulnerable, when we oppress LGBTQIA people, and, and we can go on. Those are just two examples I thought of. God's faithfulness will preserve us, but I hope it's a reminder to us that we have a charge to love God and love others as well as we can, and we can judge ourselves by the fruit of that love. Our care for the most vulnerable matters to God. Our prophets will advocate for our grace but we can show up today by clinging to God. Let's pray and then we'll do some talk back before we come to the end of our meeting. Thank you, Lord, for our time together, for our opportunity to listen and share and be with one another. Keep reminding us of your faithfulness and keep moving us in your direction, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.